When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In today's episode, I want to start out saving you money. I have some tactics that have been successful for many credit card holders you need to know about. And later, something we don't like to think about, but most of us need, life insurance. It's an area where you can easily get ripped off, and I'm going to help you navigate the buying process. So in my TV work, we did an experiment, and I had producers call their credit card companies and ask for lower interest rates. 70% of the calls were successful. People were able to get the interest rate reduced on their credit card. Better than two out of three were able to do it. So we repeated that with a writer at Clark.com. And guess what? Success again. Three out of five credit card companies lowered the interest rates. All you got to do is ask. You know, we got a lot of people running balances on credit cards. Many times it will make sense to get a new credit card balance transfer, go take out one of the uh, personal loans where you pay it back as an installment rather than a traditional credit card, you may be able to cut your interest rate a lot. Don't feel like you're a sitting duck with the interest rates you have on the balances that exist. If you are really charged up to a big percent of your available credit overall with your various credit cards, you're going to have trouble negotiating better rates or migrating to a lower interest rate with someone else. But if your amount of debt you have is reasonable versus the amount of available credit you have, you're a real candidate for any of these strategies. Balance transferring to a much lower interest rate card, or getting the interest rate reduced with the cards you've got, or looking at doing one of these personal loans with people like Lending Club or Prosper. In any of these cases, maybe even SoFi as well. With any of these things, it's your money that every dollar you pay, when you get that interest rate lowered, more of it goes to principal. Here's another thing as well. And this is something that is a shocker to a lot of people. If you have a credit card with an annual fee and you call your credit card company, you may be able to either get a one-year waiver of that annual fee or get it reduced, particularly if you make it sound like, you know, I think I'm going to get rid of this card before I have to pay the next annual fee because I'm not sure I'm getting enough value from it to justify the annual fee. And so many times they will do the one-year waiver because then they hope the next year you'll pay them the money again. 
And then you can try it again the following year if you get the fee waived or reduced and see if you can get that done one more time. On the issue of having credit cards with annual fees, you got to have a really good reason to pay an annual fee. And something that became really clear during the pandemic is how many travel cards people asked me about that they were paying annual fees that they weren't traveling and they were like, hey, what should I do about this card? And then I drilled back with them over their pass, found out what their charge volume was, how often they were flying that airline, and it turned out that pandemic, no pandemic. They shouldn't have had that travel card with the annual fee. You know, fee-free cards that pay cash back at 2% are my favorites. Krista? Okay, Clark, Don in Georgia says, my next door neighbor has his home for sale. He just had his home test positive for radon gas. His buyer backed out because of that issue. I know there are measures you can take to remedy the situation, but does that diagnosis cause your home value to drop? I ordered a testing kit to get my house tested. Are there any do's and don'ts on this issue? Don, in several regions of the country, radon is an issue in many, many homes. It is an unusual thing that a buyer backed out because of the radon gas, because it's a remediation that is, in most cases, not very difficult. When a house tests with a bad radon gas number, there are remediation companies that cost from a few thousand dollars on up, depending on the situation, but usually not backbreaking versus the value of a home that will eliminate the danger and the level of gas in a home. Your neighbor turned out just to be unlucky that the buyer uh, found out there was a radon problem and instead of giving the seller a chance to remedy it, decided to run away. With what's been going on in the real estate market, Don, your neighbor may have sold the house for more money to the next potential buyer anyway. Okay, and Mike in Illinois says, I want to ask a question on behalf of my parents. They retired and now have the time to travel, but have a few complicating factors. One, driving is becoming more stressful after a fender bender. Two, flying creates anxiety. And three, they have a beloved small dog that they don't want to leave. I may have crossed off all the good options, but would really appreciate any advice to help them enjoy their golden years and visit us kids while they have the energy. Any thoughts, Clark? Well, Mike, this is this is a toughie because I know the train lovers would say take a train, but as you know, uh, there aren't that many trains that come, passenger trains that come into the state of Illinois where it would be easy for your parents to take that as a route. But that would be the most logical of these since flying is what I would have immediately jumped to because I'm more comfortable on an airplane than anywhere else. And since driving is not an option, it eliminates potentially doing an RV or something like that. Um, driving's not going to work. So there, there aren't a lot of great choices. Now, there is a crazy one, and that is for uh, one of the kids to go fly across the country to where your parents are and drive them to and fro, and then you fly back. And then you get a lot of time in a vehicle that would be 
a potentially great thing, depending on the dynamic with your parents, or not as great a thing, depending on the dynamic with your parents. And if anybody listening, Mike, has a great suggestion, I hope that they will post it as some additional ideas that we could provide you. Okay, Clark and Marsha in Connecticut says, I recently received a notice from my bank that starting in July, they will begin sending information to credit reporting agencies about deposit accounts for overdrafts, closing accounts, and other information. I don't understand why, if my credit report does not factor in money I have in a bank account, what is the purpose of informing a credit bureau when I close my checking account, for example? There is no opt-in or out. This bank is on the way to becoming a mega bank, especially with an upcoming merger. Most of my money is in a credit union, but my first ever account is with this bank. Is this normal or should I close the account before July? So it is common now that banks report to not a traditional credit reporting agency, but to uh, one of the companies that banks can report to what I call the bad boy, bad girl list of how you handled a checking account. It may be that following this merger that this bank that did not prior report your history with a checking account now reports. And one of the crazy things about the way the banks do this reporting to these outside databases is they never report good behavior with a bank account. They only report when you have a problem. So you can only get in trouble where with traditional credit reporting and scoring, your behavior either helps you or hurts you. With the typical bank reporting, it only hurts you. This bank is telling you that they don't really care about you that much. They're going through a merger where things get messed up anyway. Close the account. Do your banking instead with the credit union where most of your money already is. And Marianne in South Carolina says, I drive a 12-year-old Honda Accord that has a built-in navigation screen but no backup camera. I would like to keep the car for several more years, but the need for a backup camera has become great. I really can't see well when I back out of a parking lot. Do you think it's worth the money to have a mechanic install a backup camera, or do I just need to get a new car? Mary Ann, definitely buy one of these aftermarket backup cameras. Some are so simple that they're wireless that you could do an install yourself, but even if you bought one that requires the help of someone uh, doesn't necessarily be a mechanic, but your mechanic could install it. Um, the camera would be cheaper than the labor, but then you would have a backup camera where the screen is an attached one to your dash, or it could be one that shows the screen on your phone. In either case, you would have the protection. You wouldn't be getting rid of a 12-year-old Honda Accord a good decade before it's ready to go on to its next owner. And this is from Mike in Texas. I have a 2015 Chevy with a turbocharged engine. It's becoming apparent that my turbo is going to fail sometime in the near future. Would it be a good idea to buy an extended warranty that might help cover some of the cost of replacing the turbo in the future? Is there anything unethical about buying a warranty, knowing that sometime in the coming weeks or months I would make a claim? So, Mike, there's a different issue with something that's almost seven model years old. With a 2015, you may not be able to buy a real extended warranty. A real one is one that you buy from Chevy itself. 
um, any of the third-party warranties that so heavily promote themselves on TV and on the web or do those um, spam calls, those are not worth the paper they're written on, uh, virtually without exception. The only warranty you could feel comfortable with is an extended warranty from Chevy, and I don't know that they'll sell you one on a vehicle that old. And again, not one that a Chevy dealer sells that's who knows what UFO. I mean, an actual one from General Motors is the only kind you can have confidence in. In addition, you don't know your turbo is done. So I don't see it to be unethical about buying a warranty. You're getting nervous that the turbo is going to croak. And so I would feel okay if GM will sell you that thing to buy it. Otherwise, save those thousands of dollars knowing that you're going to have a significant engine repair to do at some point in maybe the near future. Next, life insurance sales have skyrocketed during the pandemic. A lot of people who never, ever were interested in life insurance bought it. I want to talk to you about how you shop around for a policy that protects your loved ones, not giving the money to the insurance company or the agent's pockets. Instead, going to work for you and your family. You want to talk about a deadly service, one that can put any of us to sleep in a hurry? Start talking about life insurance. Yeah, Dullesville. Except a lot of people felt their mortality during coronavirus. I sadly just had a friend die two and a half weeks ago of coronavirus. And I read a story about how, you know, people think that because the death rate's fallen by 90 plus percent that it's over. But there's still people who we know and care and love and family members who are passing away now from coronavirus. And it's led to the largest gain, according to the Life Insurance Trade Association called LEMRA, it's the largest gain in policies sold in generations, that people have been buying these policies all over the place who historically just never got around to buying life insurance. And the thing is, is that life insurance can be bought several ways, several different kinds, but what you need to know is when you're approached by a life insurance salesperson, what they're going to offer you is not appropriate except for a tiny, tiny, tiny percent of your fellow Americans. Because life insurance agents make massive, humongous, gigantic commissions when they sell you something that is absolute, extreme, stinky, rotten, garbage known as variable universal life, universal life, or any of the different flavors of variable or universal life insurance. Don't go near them under any circumstances because these policies can blow up on you where you end up with a massive tax liability and can eventually end up 
with no coverage at all, all your money going down the drain. There's a much more respected form of insurance that may be pitched to you by a human known as whole life insurance, which is a combination savings account and death coverage, where your survivors who you've designated as beneficiaries get that money. Now, again, whole life is legit, making it very different than the garbage, variable, universal, blah, blah, blah stuff. But at the same time, it's extremely expensive to buy, has massive commissions built in, and your break-even point buying one of those is often between 12 and 15 years, where you have to go at least that long before you're not upside down in what you paid into it, because you have to overcome all the huge commissions and massive expenses from the insurance company. Now, everything I just talked about is where salespeople sell you a policy. The kind that is appropriate for probably more than 95% of us as Americans is something insurance salespeople can't really afford to sell you, but it's the insurance most of us should buy. It's called level term insurance. Level term insurance has no freaky savings or investment accounts involved with it. All it does is if you die during the term of the policy, it pays money to your survivors. You can compare these level term policies one company to another without any problem. The premiums, unbelievably inexpensive for coverage. And now a huge number of insurers, after something that started with only a couple of companies now very widely available where they, through a medical record search on you, can instant issue the policies. No waiting a couple of months for some medical person to come and do Dracula to you, taking a lot of blood samples and urine samples and all that stuff, and then waiting for those results. And so it's months from when you apply to when a policy actually is in place. Now, with level term from the modern sellers of insurance, most people know within minutes whether or not they're approved and the policy goes into effect within days. And let me tell you again, this stuff is dirt cheap. Level, what does level mean? It means the premium stays the same for the number of years of the term, level term. So people buy these from 10-year to 30-year terms most often, and so you know you bought coverage for the particular need, which may be for a time period till kids are adults and you're not worried about them in the event you pass away, or for your family or a spouse or a significant other through your working lifetime cycle, which is most often where people buy a 30-year level term. So once you qualify and once you have it, you're set for that period of time. At Clark.com, I have info on buying these policies. And let me tell you, they are ultra, ultra simple. And I want to share something with you that I've heard again and again from people when I ask them if they have life insurance. And they'll say, yeah, I got some through work. 
And, you know, a lot of employers throw you some amount of insurance or offer insurance at a deduction from your check every pay period or every month, whatever. And that insurance is not, in my mind, real life insurance because it tends to cost a lot more than your own medically underwritten level term. And generally, when you're no longer at that place of work, you lose that coverage. So it's better than nothing. Like if you medically can't underwrite to own your own policy, then it's great to have the stuff from your employer. But otherwise, take the time, because it doesn't take much time now, for you to buy one of these medically underwritten, automated insurance policies where from when you start to when you finish is typically less than 15 minutes of answering a series of questions. Answer all truthfully. You know what happens if you lie about something on an insurance policy and then you croak? You don't know this happened, but your loved ones get no money if the insurer figures out you didn't tell the truth. So tell the truth and the chips will fall where they may on whether or not you're approved and at what price. One last thing, and this is explained on my level term insurance briefing at Clark.com. You want to buy from companies that are strong financially, particularly when you go past a 10-year level term period. You want to stick to companies that are rated A double plus by AMBEST or A plus. You, any company that doesn't automatically disclose their AMBEST rating is one that's either clueless or trying to hide something. So you got to know those things. Number one, that the premium is level for the period of time you buy. Number two, the term is the number of years that you have that coverage. And next, that the company itself is financially strong. Last thing I want you to know, the amount of coverage to buy, there are lots of formulas. The simplest of all, just buy 10 times your annual income. It may not be a precise answer for everyone, but it will be a good benefit for those you leave behind. Krista? Okay, Clark, and maybe you've given Sharon and Georgia the info she needs, but she said, how safe are Policy Genius and these new companies for finding and buying life insurance? I'm used to the traditional names such as Allstate, John Hancock, et cetera. Um, Policy Genius is great. Uh, I think you've got no issues buying from Policy Genius. I would feel good about it. And again, the policies that they would recommend to you, the most important thing is to make sure that they are rated by AM Best with a good rating. And Mick in Nebraska says, my wife and I have been discussing whether to answer the door-to-door, the door to a door-to-door salesman. I say no, but my wife thinks it isn't polite to not come to the door. Usually if a product is good, I will find out about it organically, and I don't need the hard sales pitch at the door. What do you think? So, always say your wife is always right, except in this case. (laughs) She's not right. (laughs) Sorry. Mick, you are right on this. It is better not to answer the door. Uh, I don't find that anything good happens typically when you answer the door for a door-to-door salesperson. And let's put a little paranoia in your wife. There have been incidents around the country where someone pretending to be a door-to-door salesperson is actually 
a thief casing your establishment to come back maybe later and burglar your house, be a burglar at your house. So maybe that paranoia will, even though that's rare, it will get her to accept that maybe it is a better idea not to open that door for the solicitor coming to your home. What about, I have a compromise. Get a ring door camera, one of those door cameras, so you can talk to them but not answer the door from, like, your phone somewhere and just say, I'm sorry, we don't accept solicitations. All right, now we got we to gotta talk true personal stuff, Krista. So your <laughs> husband, Mike, is the nicest guy in the oh, yeah. world, and he, he will is. answer the he door. Is. He'll answer the door, and so maybe we'll buy. start doing a pitch. And what is it you yeah. do over the ring doorbell? I just Mike I is- did it one time. I I saw I got a notification that someone was at the doorbell, and I you know clicked it on, and I heard, could hear the person selling something to my husband. And I was at work, but I turned on the speaker, and I was like, "I'm sorry, we don't accept solicitations. We don't want any." My husband was like. That's my wife, like, talking through there. The guy was, like, really weirded out by it. But it worked. All right. That is a great suggestion. And you're the tough one, and he's the kind one in your household, right? Yeah, I guess so, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Kent in Oklahoma says, does having a clean and waxed vehicle, which allows for smoother airflow, result in better gas mileage? So there have been a bunch of tests of that, Kent, and uh, Mythbusters actually did one where they drove a muddy car, then a clean one that was clean and shiny, been waxed, and they actually got about two miles per gallon better with the clean wax car. I don't know if Consumer Reports would consider that to be scientifically valid as a test, but they did find a slight increase in fuel economy by having a clean vehicle instead of one caked in mud. Now, remember, caked in mud is different than a vehicle that just has dirt on it, uh, one that you could write, please wash me on it. So mud carries a fair amount of weight. And I would say in a typical situation, if they, with this extreme test at Mythbusters, could only get a two-mile-per-gallon advantage with a clean wax car. I guess there is a slight advantage, but not a big one. And I want to tell you how much I appreciate you listening. I'm very excited about tomorrow's episode when I have the pleasure of speaking with Jonathan Clements, someone I consider to be one of the premier trustworthy financial writers in the United States. I hope you'll tune in.